Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Jay Harvey. How are you, Jay? I am great, Jim. Great to be here. So good to see you, Jay. I know you've flown into our studio today from a great city of this world, Houston. Yes. And, uh, you know, the world is filled with great places to go and from which to travel, places to visit. And we're in a series here at Viewpoint talking about cities. Right. And cities, not just uh, iconic cities, but neighborhoods, because cities are actually collections of people, aren't they? They're Mm -hmm. kind of a neighborhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to visit much of Houston while you were there? Well, we were doing some prison ministry, uh, but I did get to drive from the airport, and I saw some neighborhoods, and I saw some some new areas of development, and, and it, there were certainly areas that were on the rise, so to speak, and, and I got a pretty good feel for it, but I, I mean, didn't get to stay too long. So, If you could describe Houston with any single term, one word would be sprawling. I oh, mean, my, it just, yes. It just goes on forever and ever, yes. and it is a collection of communities, right. neighborhoods, mm-hmm. that form one larger neighborhood, because when you're not in Houston, if you're in another state as we are today— Looking at Houston, it looks like kind of a neighborhood there in yes. Texas. The same could be said for any city. And in the scripture, there are some dramatic narratives about cities. Many famous cities are named in the Bible. And in this series, we're looking at seven cities mm-hmm. that were named in the book called Revelation. Yes. And we're not just going to talk about them in the ancient sense. We're going to find parallels in the modern world. Because that's the amazing thing about Scripture. Mm -hmm. What it said in olden time is fresh and new even for the present day. Jay Harvey, you've heard of the book of Revelation. Yes. Who hasn't? I mean, that's the last book of the Bible. Correct. It's the stuff of a lot of other books written. Yes. People trying to interpret what it means. (laughs) Right. All kinds of... Really strange images in the book, dragons and beasts and so on. Mm -hmm. And when we think of Revelation, we think about that kind of apocalyptic narrative. But at the front end of the book, it's not so much. Right. Uh, What we have is the Apostle John, his experience is that he sees Jesus. He has a a vision of Jesus. Right. And uh, he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, famously. And on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, he has this vision. And Jesus speaks to him. Mm -hmm. And Jesus asks him to write down all the things he's going to be told. A lot of that is this apocalyptic literature, which kind of forecasts the events of this world. Mm -hmm. But in the very first few chapters, he has some messages for churches in cities. These are called the seven churches of Asia. Mm -hmm. But wait a minute, when we say Asia, we're not really talking about the Far East, are we? No, and I was never good at geography to begin with, and now you throw in this Bible uh, (laughs) twist, the the twist of what that meant back then, and and I just get lost. Well, Asia, in the context of these Revelation churches, is modern-day Turkey. So if you were living in Rome and you went east— You'd be going towards Asia, but actually they just went to Turkey. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they didn't go all the way to what we exactly. would call the Far East. Right. Today you'd say China or Korea, Japan. So the seven churches of Asia are actually about seven cities, seven groups, neighborhoods of believers, followers of Jesus in seven cities. Each of these cities was a thing, was a was a, an amazing place in the ancient world. And The Lord speaks to each of them particularly, and John writes it down. Mm -hmm. What's striking to me as I've been reading through it again is that these cities are like types 
of our modern world too. Right. They are neighborhoods. They are collections. Just like we talked a moment ago about Houston. They're collections of communities that band together in a kind of vast urban neighborhood. And the truths and the challenges and the dares and the affirmations that Jesus gives to those ancient cities could also be given to cities in modern times. Absolutely. And so I've been doing this kind of game in my head. <laughs> if this ancient city was like this, then what modern city is more like that? I think you might have the idea for a board game there, Jim. I think this could be a lot of uh, angles to (laughs) go with, but today we're talking about one of those cities. It's a city that we don't often hear, but the name, once you hear it, will just stick with you. Pergamum. 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 Mm -hmm. Let's get a prize to the person who can point Pergamum out on the map. (laughs) Uh, Not easily discovered just now in our modern map except that it is in Turkey, and it's in the western part of Turkey. And it's a city that was famous in the ancient world. And it was famous for many things, but let me describe it to you, and then you give me a city in the modern world that you think, well, that kind of sounds like. Okay. All right, this is a city famous for the arts. Okay. It had a lot of culture. And people all over the ancient world would think about Pergamum as a place where they take their cues on culture. Maybe it's about theater, or maybe it's about sculpture, or maybe it's about other kinds of art or music. Hmm. It's a place where people assembled, and there were great, great shows, so to speak, in ancient sense. Hmm. It's also a place very fashionable, because when you have Ah. all that art scene, you have people who are very conscious about, well, style and fashion, and so the city was famed for the way in which it was kind of defining fashion in the world. You know, when you you walk down those streets of Pergamum, you better have it together because it was just a place that had some of that vibe about it. It was a very wealthy place. You know, art often flourishes in places where there's money. So (laughs) I am from Seattle, as you know. Correct. And, you know, right now there's a lot of money in Seattle, which means the Seattle Art Museum and the Fry Art Museum and the Burke Art Museum, they're having terrific inflows, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Symphony Hall and the Chihuly Glass Museum, all these things. Well, it's because there's a lot of wealth there. Same in the old world. Pergamum had money. It was a place of great commerce, a lot of uh, buying and selling, people coming and going. This city in modern-day Turkey, ancient Roman Asia, was a place where people were just kind of a crossroads. Hmm. So all of that sounds like a place. People coming and going. Think about a yeah. city with right. one of the most busy airports in the whole world, a place where people are fashionable and they take their cues for fashion, a place where the arts, where theater and music and, and everything flourishes and the whole world watches it for what's going to come out of there next, a place that mm. is iconic. Ah. And when you say its name, people can just madly, ah. um, they can just see it in their mind's eye. Mm-hmm. What name, name a place? What's it I, like? That has to be L.A. L.A. I mean, LA. I think bingo. Yes, Los Angeles, absolutely. isn't that it? That's it. I mean, LAX, one of the world's great coming and going centers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have music, you have film, you have television. It's all kind of congregated there. The whole world is listening yes. to what comes out of LA. It's a place where people, hey, come on, Beverly Hills, you right. want to get fashion down? Right. That's where you go. It's all that Pergamum is an ancient equivalent of Los Angeles, or vice versa. We say Los Angeles is close to an equivalent, it seems to me, of ancient Pergamum, which means that maybe the message of Jesus to the believers in Pergamum might have something to say to the believers in Los Angeles. But wait, I would argue that the message of Jesus to ancient Pergamum, 
as to modern Los Angeles is a word for all of us. That's right. In the world in which we live, every neighborhood is being drawn together right. by the internet, by technology, and Jesus has something to say. And many of the things that draw people to L.A. can draw us right here from our minds to want to be uh, what we think those people That's are right. like. And so I agree 100%. That's the point. Pergamum right. was a place in the ancient world where others looked at it to take its cues. Los Angeles is a place that hugely influences the world. How about the word of Jesus? Let's see what its influence might bring. All right, Jay. Yes. Jesus is giving the Apostle John a word. He says, write this down. John says at the beginning of his book, I saw heaven opened. It's really an elegant and vivid phrase, doesn't it? You have this impression that... John's eyes are open to a world beyond, Mm. and he sees Jesus, and Jesus starts talking, says, write this down, and I've got a word for the church at Pergamum. This is in Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. What does it say? It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. The scripture continues, In a similar way, Jesus said, You have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one. Who receives it. Mm. It's a mysterious passage in a way, mm-hmm. isn't it? But still, there's something gripping about it. Clearly, Jesus has an idea and an opinion of these people in Pergamum and of the people who profess to be Jesus' people, the Christians of Pergamum. That's the original audience. Our question, our premise, is that that audience could be us too. Right. And let's just walk through it. We've already talked a little bit about Pergamum, mm-hmm. a city fabulous and it's iconography, the way in which it was fashionable and wealthy and the center of the arts and culture, esteemed around the world. So is Los Angeles today. So many people in the world would look to Southern California as a cue for how to live or what to aspire to reach. That all said, there's some problems. And when you're a church in a city like that, you have some tall mountains to climb. Right. Because the temptations to be detoured from the way of Jesus are great. And apparently some of that was happening in this town. Now notice this, Jesus describes the city as the city of Satan. Right. Oh, I don't (laughs) want to assign that to Los Angeles so much. No. Uh, He didn't say that about LA per se, but how many of us live in neighborhoods where there are things so dark that you might say Satan actually lives there? Right, right. I mean, can you think of something, uh, Jay, in modern cities, not just in the United States where we are right now, but around the world, where there's darkness so deep that you'd mm-hmm. have to say, Jesus 
wants to go in that neighborhood, but Satan is there. Right, right. And and as I think about that, I, I my mind always goes to to places of of high crime or violence or where there is many opportunities for people to have their fleshly desires met, so to speak. But that can be just about everywhere. And when I really started to to think about that particular verse where it says, this is where Satan lives, or or you live in the city where Satan has his throne, it, it just led me to a place to think of that Satan is, we're told, is on the earth. He's in our space, prowling around, seeing who he can destroy. And I think some of us think that maybe he's not. Maybe he's just over there in that area or over there in that area. But I think that if the veil was turned back and we could see clearly that that he does roam around from place to place. And some are dark, but some aren't as dark as the others. We can't get comfortable and think that we've got it covered. I, I think that he lives and dwells and seeks who it is that he can destroy. And Everyone is vulnerable to that. So doesn't matter what neighborhood yeah, you live right, in. Right. Uh, he could be watching in. Exactly. But there are places where he seems to have particular agency. Mm-hmm. And uh, this city of Satan, we're not exactly sure what the ancient context was. Some have thought that perhaps there was some pagan worship there that right. was so over the top that it had this reputation. Uh, but to your larger point, the enemy, and Satan actually means adversary. That's a literal meaning of the term. Right. That the adversary of our souls, the opposite of God, the antithesis of God, this Satan has residence in this town. Right. And that has caused some difficulty for believers. And it's introduced by Jesus into this word for the city because he said, and some of you who follow me have not been intimidated Notice right, this. Right. Antipas was martyred for his faith. We're not sure who that is. He's not referenced in other parts of Scripture. But someone clearly lost his life because he refused to bow the knee to Satan or to the way of this world. He just was going to stand up with Jesus, and he lost his life over it. And that's pretty scary. And yet the believers in town would not surrender to the way of the world, the way of the town, or Satan's wiles, even though somebody had had their life threatened for standing faithful. So mm-hmm. that's to the good. Right. And truth be told, in Los Angeles and many great cities and many of our neighborhoods and our own lives, there are moments when we stand up and say, that is just a step too far. We're not doing that. Right. And the Lord honors that always. Never be afraid to stand tall when you know something's evil and when you know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Ah, but then Jesus says, I've still got some problems with you. You've had courage. Right. You've you've been bold. You've spoken out on things. But wait a minute. There's a problem here, right. and that is you have some Nicolaitans among you. Now, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. It's an ancient uh, turn of the phrase, reflects some context of the first century era, of the Christian era, and it talks about people who attempted to synthesize their Christian faith with things that are actually forbidden in the law of God, you might say. Mm-hmm. So the Lord calls us to a certain way of living, a certain sense of purity and authenticity and integrity and honesty. And the Nicolaitans seem to want to honor Jesus as Lord. They'll be bold and say, hey, we're all for Jesus or we're all for Christianity or whatever. We're not compromising that. But do we really have to live up to all of that stuff? Or or maybe we didn't understand it correctly. Or let's just weave some of the things that we want to do into this new system of life. And Jesus compares it to an Old Testament story, Balaam and Balak. Balak. These are are characters who 
did the same thing. They tried to deceive the people of God into accommodating what they wanted to do, while at the same time saying, you can do what you want, and it won't matter in the sight of God. Yes, and, and I think that is, that is the, the, the part for me, Jim, that, that always gets my attention is, is that right there. He described it as a stumbling block, just a way to, to trip up the people, not necessarily deny Christ or deny the way, but, but this is okay too, and this is okay. And, and that becomes something that then people trip over and they get confused or they think it's okay and they get off on a different path. And it, it actually says you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of. And, and so anytime I see that in Scripture, it, it's you're letting this happen when you know that people are kind of being led astray because it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. And boy, do we see that not only in L.A., but just all over the place. Well, and notice how it's illustrated with two particular yes. Yes. acts of conduct that are problematic. Right. One is honoring the idols, mm-hmm. and the other is sexual sin. Right. What's interesting is in the Acts of the Apostles, this becomes one of the great dividing lines. When the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish, are flooding into the church, there's a big debate. Well, do they have to follow all the Jewish laws and so on? And the sum of it is the council of the original church in Jerusalem says, tell those Gentiles we're good. They do not have to do all the Jewish customs and rules and wrecks. The only thing they need to do is yes. don't honor the idols and don't commit sexual sin. These became the markers hmm. of the New Testament age. Well, here we are today, right. 20 centuries on, and honoring idols isn't so much of a an obvious problem, although anytime you are detoured from your lens about God, whenever you want to pursue something that leaves God by the curb, you're pursuing an idolatrous outcome. And sexual sin is the place where most people, many people, will stumble. And they'll want to follow Jesus, but man, we live in a world that is so sexually charged and we're Mm -hmm. so everywhere prompted to our sexuality. And I'm talking as a regular guy, I totally get it. And if I could rewrite the Bible, I mean, I could just rewrite some of that stuff. I promise you, I'd add in some new things, some new yes. opportunities for myself. But you know what? The Book of Jim. <laughs> the Book of Jim. But I have to make a decision in my life. If I'm right. going to follow Jesus, then I have to also obey him and live up right. to his, his standards. I would argue that doing so has enriched my life, even though I'm tempted to go astray. I know that by not doing so, I'm in a much better place, and my life is so much richer and better. Mm -hmm. But that's a temptation everywhere, isn't it? So back to ancient Pergamum, modern-day L.A., or wherever you are in this world, be careful with this. Do not just think, because the world says it's normative and it's okay, just because society or even legal structures authorize certain kinds of conduct, especially sexual conduct, that that is the place from which you take your guidance. No, take your guidance from Jesus and his word. Mm. Because look what he says. If you don't get this straightened up, it's hopeful, really. I mean, he's, he's warning them. I'm giving you a chance to turn this around. But if you don't do that, I will personally take right. care of it myself. Right. I don't know right. that I want Jesus to march up the stairs to my bedroom right. and take care of it. Exactly. I want to be in a place where I welcome his face, not am afraid to see it. And then he says, and if you do this right, if you will just follow me, Mm. I've got something for you. This is the mystery. There'll be a stone with a new name on it, and it's mysterious. 
but that new name will be known only to you and to me. And in the ancient world, a name carried great power. Mm -hmm. Your name represented who you are, what you can be, what is your inheritance. And he's telling you, I've got a name that's so awesome that you are going to want to have it. Just stay true. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The I first believe my chains are But God who called me 
Wherever you are in life today, whether you live in Los Angeles or another great city of this world, maybe you live out in the country somewhere, wherever you are, Jesus can see you. Don't be alarmed by that because he loves you. And he is also reaching out for you just as he was to the church in Pergamum. Sometimes he may seem to have kind of a hard voice, but it's only because he wants to redeem you and to breathe new life into you. We want to encourage you to bow before this Jesus and honor him. Surrender your life into his hands. And then watch what he does with you. How he can give you that stone with a new name. How he can recreate you in new and magnificent ways. And how you can know life abundant and fulfilling here and now. And the promise of life hereafter. But it all hinges on whether or not you're willing to bow before Jesus, that same Jesus that appeared to John, that same Jesus that walked with John, that same Jesus who rose from the dead and is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. How do you get there? What do you do? Start with us right here, right now, by praying with us. Take a deep breath and just pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you know us each one by name. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for loving us so much that you just won't leave us alone. Thank you for calling the best out of us. And thank you for making the way before us. Lord, if anyone listening to my voice right now is being tempted to honor an idol or to pursue some kind of sexual sin, I pray that in the deepest reach of their being, you will stir in them and call the best out of them and protect them from error. Banish the enemy. Don't let Satan have his way with them. Whatever the challenge in life might be, wherever their heartache might be, meet them, Lord, and reassure them that you are able, more than able, to sort things out for the good if they'll just allow themselves to fall into your hands. We repent of our sin, Lord. We admit that we are weak. We know, Lord, that we are flawed, but we also know you're able to cause us to be born again, to be made new and filled with your Spirit. May this be, for each of us, Lord, our prayer and our gift today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Want to know more? Give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day and seven days a week, we're by the phone, and we want to hear from you. Jay, I know some people won't just call us up, though. That may be a step too far. But if they wanted to check us out online, how could they send us an email? Easily by going to www.cbhviewpoint.org. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are. cbhviewpoint.org. Read about the ministry there. Send us an email. We will reply, I promise. Or at the last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420. Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us up, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jay, so glad to see you as always. Good to be back, and what a great message. Well, hey, Pergamum, Los Angeles, Houston. Yes. Seattle. Yes. Wherever you are, 
I promise you, Jesus is there. Just give him a chance. Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning in with us, and we hope you'll be with us again next week as we unpack a little bit more from that ancient book of Revelation that has so much modern-day news. We're going to be looking at a city that's matched up with New York next week. Join us. For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, and for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.